day seven of the apocalypse. Sup everyone, I'm Paul Clark. Sup Paul, welcome back to the podcast. So we're in it for a full week. Since Oregon has declared a quarantine because of coronavirus, the state pretty much has shut down. This weekend was glorious. The sun was out and so were people. The trails around Hood River were packed with cyclists, mountain bikers, hikers. The rivers had boaters on them. And yes, I did some paddling myself with some friends. The, even though the weather was great, the mood was somber. A lot of us were suggesting that this might be the last time we could get all out and enjoy the weather. And the governor of Oregon, Kate Brown, tweeted this morning that she was disappointed in Oregon for packing the beaches and the trails and that this is in no way saving the lives of Oregonians. We're at a point in this history where the health crisis of the virus is catastrophic. People are dying, the virus is spreading, but people are recovering, so I'm told but the economy is tanking. Over this last week, supposedly 33% increase in unemployment claims. The health crisis is what I call an earthquake, and the tsunami that follows is the economic crisis and the social crisis. Doom and gloom in the headlines. I follow a few apps on my phone, news apps, including the BBC, NPR, and Reuters. I don't follow what's trending in Facebook. I'm not interested in filtered news sources, but I do look at those three apps and I do reach out to you to get a better idea of how you're doing, what you're doing, and where you're at. In this episode, we talk to Shasta McCoy, a landscape architect from Golden, British Columbia. She's a river paddleboarder, a river enthusiast. She does a lot of professional work in creating green spaces to restore riverways. We're connected by the Columbia River. She's near the headwaters and I'm in the gorge. So I'm excited to talk to Shasta McCoy. She has a great perspective. I talked to her yesterday evening as the sun was setting. Without further ado, Shasta McCoy. The best thing about a crisis is that it brings people together. So right behind me is the Columbia River Gorge. And 15 minutes from you is the, the almost the headwaters of the Columbia River. So a river connects us. Conservation and the, the interest in rivers unite us. And this new challenge, <laughs> coronavirus. Here in the state, or here in Oregon, this is the sixth day of a quarantine. And it's got a vague language of what this quarantine means. Who could go out? Can we go out? What can we do? And things like that. Tell me about what's going on where you're at in Golden, British Columbia. Sure. So Golden is only about 3,000 people, but we are on the Trans-Canada Highway. So um, and we are right in between some of Canada's most famous uh, national parks, so it's a high draw for tourism. <clears throat> uh, here, the, our recommendations are to practice social dis distancing, uh, to sort of self-isolate um, voluntarily, right, to keep our distance from people and only really uh, be in contact with our family units. and. Um, you know, people who are returning from the states, of course, they've been asked to do the same, but, um, you know, stay, staying away from 
from their loved ones, right? When they come back to Canada. So, and do you have do you have any connection with the virus itself? Do you have anybody that you know that that's been sick or recovering? Uh, not here, and uh, I I do have friends in Colorado. So I moved to British Columbia from Colorado about 14 years ago, and uh, Gunnison Crested Butte has, uh, I think, been hit pretty hard with the virus uh, rather quickly. Why so, a uh, mountain town? That that shocks me. <laughs> well, um, if you've ever been to a party in Crested Butte, that would uh, answer Fair all enough. your questions. Uh, we used to say... <laughs> We used to say if you <laughs> share a pipe in Crested Butte, you have the same cold that everybody else in town has. So <laughs> it was like always the admonition to those folks living down in Gunny, like, don't smoke anybody's pipe in Crested Butte. You'll get the funk and you'll be coughing all winter. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I think that same principle is uh, true uh, in, uh, in the case of coronavirus. So uh, I, do, I do know some folks that have that have it, but not here uh, in Golden. We've heard of cases here, but they've been uh, only tourists and um, easily isolated cases so far. Well, today was really the first glorious weekend of spring. It is spring, and in the, the gorge, especially in the Hood River area where I'm at, people were out. I was surprised today. I did paddle. I was surprised how busy trailheads were. I was surprised how busy the river was. The, the idea of, and, and I don't really follow social media anymore. I mean, I Instagram and things like that, but I don't, I'm not on Facebook. So that, yeah. it, you know, it has its own weird things. Apparently there's a lot of uh, shaming people who are going outdoors. And in fact, on my Instagram post yesterday, I encouraged people to, to go outside. They, you know, right. This is healthy. This is what you need to be doing. And she brought a, a critic of mine brought to my attention that this is dangerous. People should be indoors. And I was seeing how many people were out today, and it really was it was a mixed message for me because one, I'm like, I'm glad people are out enjoying the weather. They're alive. Yeah. They're happy. How long can we be doing this? And at the same time, I'm like, oh, no, how long can we be doing this? This is, this is going to lead us to the government saying you can't leave your house. What's the weather like there, and how are people doing with this quarantine that you have there, too? Well, it, it, I, no one has said don't leave your house, um, but uh, all sort of public events are canceled. And, of course, mm -hmm. the ski hills shut down. And so and there's that's, that's kicking horse. That's kicking horse. Yeah. Um, that closed. The last day it was open was Sunday. And uh, we, we rode the chairlift with one of the managers on Saturday. And at that point, we were still optimistic that we were going to be skiing through this week. And, of course, it's just been um, you know, one door closing after another this week. And, um, but, but people seem to be enjoying the fresh air with their families. There's lots of folks just riding their bikes through the street or walking along the river. Uh, we got out to one of the, one of our favorite paddling rivers yesterday and just kind of hung out. And there were people on the other side of the river. Like we're not, you know, in physical contact with them, but you know, you kind of just wave. One of the weirdest things is that you often will see your friends here in town and just, you know, you're walking away from them, not going up and hugging them like normal, right? And just last yeah. week, that's what we were still doing. And so um, people are getting out and it doesn't, no one has indicated that that's not safe at this point here. Good. But again, we've, we're such low population density 
anyway in this location. And um, it seems like people are, are doing a good job keeping their distance and, and not, you know, entering your pub, your personal space. Would Calgary be the, the nearest big town? And that's still a bit of a way from you. Yeah, it's about three hours away. Yeah. So and I, essentially the equivalent of Portland to Bend and Bend is where I've been since 2002 in central yeah. Oregon, like the one of the hubs of Oregon outdoor recreation, that in Hood River. Yeah. I interviewed uh, a videographer who works in Calgary the other day, Eric Gonzalez. That was a great interview because he's very optimistic. He had the COVID-19 testing and uh, because he was just traveling internationally and he came back with a sore throat and the, the healthcare oh, wow. system in Alberta is really supportive for testing. Uh, that's not necessarily the case down here in the States, um, at least in Oregon. There, it's, it's almost a running joke, like nobody is being tested. So what does that mean? I guess quarantine. And there's this overriding darkness of what can we do? What can't we do? What is this? Uh, we're responding to a very deadly virus with a very economically devastating solution. It's, you know, I call it, I call the virus itself an earthquake. It kills people. It destroys infrastructure. But the tsunami that's following it is economic and social. Yeah. How mm -hmm. are, how is your job security, if you don't mind me asking? Well, um, so far, not. Uh, we we haven't seen a change. Uh, we're busy tendering projects for. Um, construction this season so that's a good sign uh, and i expect um, where possible uh, provincial and federal governments will continue to support infrastructure projects because they do have an economic benefit and that is one way that they can um, make a positive impact um, there are other programs that they're instituting as well for individuals as well as for businesses <clears throat> but um i I've, uh, so my, and my husband works for the garbage company, so he's essential service. There's still garbage. It still needs to be taken care of and recycling. And so, um, you know, everything's not fully shut down, but it's, it's definitely scaled back. And I, I don't think I will feel the impacts in my work, uh, as quickly as, as some other people, but I think there will, I think there will be a slowdown. I think that's inevitable. It just might be a lag time. Sure. Um, and you're a mom. You have a little one. I do. Yeah. I have a six-year-old who is working her way through this. Um, of course, not able to play dates. And uh, she was meant to be in ski camp this week. So that didn't happen. Um, she's been uh, discovering the telephone and calling her grandparents. Uh, oh, good. Multiple times a day. <laughs> so, is that a long know, distance so, phone call that year? Yeah. Or, or yeah, she found a big telephone bill as a result, but that's fine because both sets of her grandparents are kind of hiding away. So it's good uh, connection. Uh, one in one set, my husband's grandparents uh, are in Edmonton, and then my parents are in East Tennessee. So all, and, and all too far to visit. So you're a Canadian and you have a dual citizenship. Uh, I'm a permanent resident. I'm just an okay. American living in Canada. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then but you seem, uh, you seem very kind. You seem river. to be embracing the best of Canada. Yeah, I am. It's great. Uh, yesterday I took Luna out to the river and we uh, went for a little hike together and 
she was collecting old man's beard from the trees, you know, and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to teach you how to make a fire, right? Like that's what, you know, when you're out in the forest and you're collecting that old man's beard, it's the kindling to start a fire. So let's teach you how to start a fire. Like, I don't know how this virus is going to impact our family or if I'm going to have that opportunity again. So that's what I did with her yesterday. And um, that's, that's amazing. And is nice. it from, you, you said you were raised in Tennessee? Yeah. Yeah. Is that where your love for the river began? Yeah, absolutely. I, I my first uh, paddling experiences were on the Hiawassee and uh, the Pigeon and the Okoe and Nantahala and Little River and um, Clear Creek, South Clear Creek, and then <clears throat> and then I moved out to Colorado and started more adventures there, <laughs> paddling. And it's Colorado that you discovered river paddleboarding. Uh, well. No, it was I was living in British Columbia at the time, and the first time I ever stood on a paddleboard, I was visiting Tennessee. Actually, I was on the um, uh, I was on the lake near Chattanooga, and uh, first stood on a paddleboard. I'm like, hey, this is awesome! And then, <laughs> yeah, maybe like four years later, I saw a YouTube video of people doing it on the river, and I was like, well, now that's what I've got to do. And uh, it's it's been kind of full on since then it really uh, uh reinvigorated my love for paddling and my passion for paddling and um yeah it's it's just an amazing sport that's awesome what, what's your prediction of the future of this sport regardless of coronavirus <laughs> uh, regardless uh it feels like it's growing uh it feels like it's it's such a it's such an accessible way i think for people to experience the river and even experience um you know whitewater uh, a lot of people feel really um, uncomfortable being upside down in a kayak, or perhaps they have an injury where they're more susceptible in a kayak uh, to you know, shoulder dislocations and, and the like. And uh, the awesome thing about a paddleboard is you never have to bail your boat. <laughs> <And> <laughs> it's amazing. You can uh, just uh, climb back on it and keep on going. And I, and I recognize there are some limitations. Uh, you know, I'm not dropping big waterfalls and running class five creeks, but that's okay. I was never going to do that in a kayak anyway. I, um, so I, I, I think the more we uh, are able to expose people to the sport and introduce them to it and get them out on the river safely, I think more people are going to want to do it. it. It certainly seems like there's a growing interest in, in our area. Uh, as far as numbers go, can you count in general what type of community of river paddleboarders you have up there? Or even kayakers who dabble in river paddleboarding? Well, it's a pretty small community. I mean, even in North America, it seems like it's a small community and you know almost everyone. But um, I, I haven't thought about how many people. Uh, well, I that's know good. That I'm glad you didn't say there's four. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's more than four. It's probably more like 40 to 50. Oh, great, great. Yeah, I, I would and say that confidently, and it could be more. That's that's amazing. I run a Facebook. Well, again, I'm not on Facebook anymore. Uh, I log on occasionally and post things, but I uh, I run a Facebook group called uh, Oregon River Paddleboarders, and there are 60 people in that group. Oh, nice. That's and I've, I've paddled with maybe... 15 of those people so that's 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 kind of interesting i started this about six years ago 
And in the Pacific Northwest, there were a handful of people doing it on a regular basis. And the, the, the brand we have a mutual relationship with had no representation here. And so it was cool. And every time I saw a hall of paddleboard, I either knew who it was or I arranged a sale. But now it's like, where'd that board come from? Who did that come from? And like, oh, this is great. So there's, there's an element of growing both in rivers and in flat water. Um, how many, what about, ooh, the train. <laughs> I might shut the door. Okay. You're not too loud. That's good. Uh, yeah, I've never come to this viewpoint. I thought it would be a, a great place. The train runs on both the Washington, where I'm at now, and the, the Oregon side. Uh, where was I getting at? Um, oh, oh, women. Women yep. paddleboarders up there. Yep. What type of representation? It seems to have a really big appeal to women. Uh, in my experience. So uh, the first time I ever took a river clinic, it was all women. Mm-hmm. Um, I My paddling posse here in Golden is mostly women. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I went down to Costa Rica last year and paddled, and all of us on paddleboards in, in our tour were women. So um, it, it seems to have a big appeal to females and i'm not sure exactly why that is but um that said uh i know some really amazing men who are excellent at it as well and um it's it's nice to have a good mix out there we seem to have that and i've I've done my series of clinics and and coaching and and whatnot and i've really determined that the best person to get into river paddleboarding will happen to be a female, will more than likely be a mountain biker, and <laughs> may have never touched a river but has done some surfing or has yep. been a telemark skier or a snowboarder. Those mm-hmm. three things in particular, like you're female, <laughs> yep. you're already inclined to be athletic with a touring sport like mountain biking or backcountry yep. skiing, and you know how to flow. Yeah. So those three things and then the willingness to learn and not necessarily have a crazy big ego, the camaraderie that women bring to this sport. I always love And I I mean, today, the people are paddling with were women and it's it's great. I learned so much from uh, so many people, but it's it's great to be on the river with women. Hopefully that doesn't sound weird. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, I, I agree. I, it's also great to be on the river with women. And, you know, I think for anyone, the, the sport has an amazing, amazing potential to be so empowering, right? And to to bring forward the best of what's within us and, and f- help us discover who we really are deep down. And then, and then while that's happening, you're also building a community. Like when I paddle with someone, I always feel like, Okay, well now your family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Welcome to my family. We are, we have paddled together, and um, I've been thinking through like what this sort of uh, how these new protocols are going to come yes. into place for how we yes. paddle together, and I, I feel like I have a lot figured out as 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 far as okay, well, not sharing vehicles with people that aren't your family unit, or not sharing equipment or renting your equipment to people because I don't want to give or receive you know this virus but those seem pretty straightforward and achievable but the the thing i'm sort of noodling through right now and maybe you have some ideas or others have ideas is how do we negotiate this when we get into a rescue situation um and 
you know, we need to be pulling our friends out of the river and we have to, we can't limit physical contact because it's, it's necessary. And I think rescue is immediate. Yep, exactly. Right. Like, and so with that in mind, like, obviously we're not going to just let someone float down the river or drown because of coronavirus. Mm -hmm. It's almost like when we are choosing to paddle with someone, we're sort of choosing to potentially make them part of our family in an even deeper sense than before, right? Mm-hmm. And I've always admired the the community that whitewater boaters have. I never really knew anything about whitewater until I stood on a paddleboard. My background <laughs> is long distance trips, whether it be in a sea kayak or yeah. hiking or backcountry skiing, uh, you know, backpack on and off I go has always been my background. And so when I realized, when I stepped on a paddleboard, back in 2012 or whenever it was, I asked the person who loaned it to me, what are these gear tie-downs for? And she said, <laughs> I don't know, put a put your PFD on it, maybe a dry bag. And I thought, a dry bag, a backpack? You could do overnight trips with these? And she thought, yeah. Yeah, sure, why not? And I was, I was hooked because instantly, like I went paddling for an overnight trip. And then in Oregon, especially in central Oregon, if you're going to do multi-day paddle trips, it's on yeah. a river. So yeah, huh, this river thing. What's this all about? <laughs> yeah, and I haven't stopped. I my last vlog was about burning out, but uh, that was a week ago, and it seems like it's a world away since then. Burning um, out from I, paddling? Well, I've been I've been really committed to this lifestyle for the last six years. Yeah. I would say I wouldn't say it ruined my marriage, but I would say that I was really selfish in my obsession with paddleboarding. Uh, I would go on trips. I would say to my employers at the time, I don't know when I'm going to be back. <laughs> and off I'm in Alaska, <laughs> off I'm in Baja, off I'm in now Panama and Patagonia and New Zealand. And just really embracing it and really focus on the next horizon, the next place to go. I've been on all the rivers in Oregon on a paddleboard. I need Washington. I need Idaho. I need, I need more. I need more. And you just you just burn out, and especially my role in the industry with content creation, uh, it becomes pretty brand specific. Mm-hmm. And when you're telling stories about brands, yes, you're promoting the brand and you're helping the sport grow, but you are kind of limited in in the scope of your storytelling. And I don't think it's always genuine. So that was my burnout. I was scratching my head, like I, I paddled with my friends. Some of them are not on the same with equipment that I need to take photos of. And so that means I can't take photos of them. That's just head scratching. And now I'm yep. all about it. I'm like, I want, where's my next river trip? When can I do it? When, when you're not allowed to do something, you want it. And over the last handful of years, I've been allowed with the, the alignments to brands that I've had, I've been allowed to go do things. And now it's, Every day is dizzy, and every day is a new experience, which fits, I think, in my pursuit. Like, okay, DAP, how are we going to do it? Yeah. That was a lot of rambling. This, this podcast is about to be about you. It is supposed to be about you. <laughs> <laughs> no but that, that, was, that was the burnout element. What are you doing to stay focused on paddling? I know a new, a new generation of paddlers are coming out, and you're one of them. Uh, well, you know, I'm older than you might think, but uh, uh, you're old enough to drink. I, I I am old enough to drink and uh, and other things too. 
no, I, I I first started whitewater paddling in 1999. So for context, oh. I'm oh. not really that young or new. <laughs> <laughs> um, newer to the sport of uh, paddleboarding than uh, than whitewater for sure, but uh, I'm 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 definitely seeing like young people are are curious and interested. Uh, I I've heard people say, "Well, I thought paddleboarding was dumb until I saw people doing it on a river." I'm like, "Okay, well, that's a start." <laughs> I can't, I don't know why you thought it was dumb. Had you tried it yet? <laughs> but uh, uh, that's um, and I and I also I I I'd, I'd hoped uh, before the the virus uh, that uh, I could start to partner with some nonprofits in my area that were offering uh, outdoor programming to youth, and um, not quite sure how that's going to move forward now, uh, or even if those programs will. Uh, continue to operate but um, that said I I see a tremendous potential for for young people and uh, people from all generations to to find common ground right and and find connection and and empowerment with this sport that is amazing optimism and I, I hope that stays on track yeah. In 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 the world that was occurring last week, that, that... is a perfect destination. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to focus on doom and gloom, but what's your what's your thought in the near future? What's happening with the 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 virus itself and the the economic repercussions? Oh, uh, aside from uh, the paddling world, I. Yeah. I... I, I think that um, I think that we have been living in a party our whole lives, <laughs> and the party might be ending to an extent. Like, and whatever comes after this is going to be its own new thing. Um, and with that in mind, I, I think it's uh, you know not having too much attachment to what we once in, enjoyed. Uh, as far as our uh, the frivolousness of some of our behavior and life, like we have to now like take every single moment and and every single opportunity to either have fun or express to the people that are close to us how important they are to us. Um, th- those become super important. But then you know when it comes to the economics of it, it's it's going to be a whole new thing. And you know I obviously I'm and an activist when it comes to my design practice for um, ecological services and ecological health. And I can't imagine, like we, we, we all kind of like wanted to see, you know, a decline in consumerism and a decline in our impact on the planet. And I guess we never really predicted that this was going to be the thing that did it, that like caused us to sort of just stop <laughs> for a little bit. And so what we become after this, I think there's an opportunity to be so much smarter and better than maybe those just old sort of rutted out patterns that we were living in, myself included, right? That that weren't healthy for the planet and for my daughter's future prospects on it. That is amazing perspective. And, I, and 
I think I want to wrap it up there. We're at uh, almost 30 minutes. Uh, <laughs> well, you I'm going to edit it. <laughs> no, this is good. This is in, in my time frame. And uh, you're so articulate. You're so inspiring. I want Thank to go you. paddle with you. I want to go. I meet want you. you to come paddle with me. <laughs> Oh, well, I don't, I don't know. We, we will make it happen. If it's not this year, it'll be next year. But I, I certainly hope we can make it happen this year. I have a river for us to go hit. Is it, is it a secret or can I, can my it's audience a secret. learn about it? It's a secret. Okay. It's a secret. Perfect. Secret. Fingers yeah. uh, locked in virtual uh, place. It's a secret with ourselves. Yeah. Shasta McCoy, you've been an awesome guest. You're the third guest on my podcast that I started six days ago, and I'm calling the Days of the Apocalypse. Uh, that's in jest, hopefully. Uh, like, just this idea of, damn, what's happening? Like, the entire world is reacting. So hopefully it's not an apocalypse, and hopefully I'll spend more time talking about paddleboarding. And uh, you're the, the first episode that uh, has been mostly about paddleboarding with a really fresh perspective thank you so much thank you for having me let's paddle ah. through the apocalypse <laughs> great advice shasta mccoy <laughs> you're awesome have a great night you too bye